Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Been pushing for this since 2007. You're a hard man to get. You don't you're do a lot. I've been pushing since 2002. You're a hard man to get. Hard man to get. You're here now. I've been waiting for this invite. This is it. We're announcing Rounders 2. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. We found Worm. He was Compl- in Austria. Koppelman and Levine will, uh, have not been told yet that that they've all, that the script is already written. You've basically said I'm in. Everybody involved has. Damon's uh, in. Yep. Because I asked him last year and he said he was in. Yep. Koppelman and Levine are in. This is it. We're ready to go. Someone, we need a detective to sniff out what, what, where's the log jam? Well, I think, do you know my, 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 I have the script. I gave it to them for free. Really? Because I like those guys. <laughs> no, it's just like Mike McDee, he goes to Vegas and then poker takes off and he becomes like one of the main guys. Right. And what happens to Worm? Worm comes back into his life because now where's Mike Worm McDee been, is, though? we don't know. It's unclear. Because we'll okay, so we're I, in the same jacket. Of course, because I'm selfish and I want to know. Where, what are my lines? <laughs> what your motivation yeah, is? Well, you know, I want to know literally how big is my part. Yeah. So, no, I'm kidding. I, I, I said to Brian and David one time, there's no way that Worm wasn't involved somehow in the credit default like swaps. <laughs> he has to have been. He has to have been doing something dodgy and in some form of like, you know, the finance bubble. Would you rather play a guy like that or a guy who's the hero? Um, I... Um, what's the language? Uh, we can swear. You can we can do f bombs. Okay. No, whatever I you only want. want to quote the movie, but yeah, I always say that there are certain certain things you just want to work with certain people, and you do it because you're like, I did a movie with Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando. It was Brando's last film, and I I did it for those three reasons. It yeah. was Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando. I'm not going to not do that movie, right? It was a heist picture. We tried to make it really good, but mostly it's like. I want to be on that poster, you know what I mean? But, um, but rounders, I think we all had the experience when we read it. Like when I read the script and Mike says, 
like, um, you know, Worm says something like, yeah, what did I ever do to that guy? And Mike says, you fucked his mother. And he says, well, she was a good looking older woman. I was like, I'm doing this movie, right? Literally that exchange. I was like, I'm doing this movie. I love this guy. Like, this is, uh, this is really funny, you know? And, um, does Rounders get made now? It's a really good question. Cause I guess like once Damon got a little cachet and you got a little cachet yeah, we at had, the same we, time. We, we were bringing, we, we brought kind of the like, Hey, these are the, the coming, the young Turks, they, they, they're, and, um, and then, but you know what? It was also done with sense. The whole movie, yeah. we all did the movie for no money, essentially. The whole movie cost 13 million bucks, I think. Right. Wow. And if you do that and, and, and if God, and if we say in that moment, Hey, we're not looking like just to, to, to lever our, whatever we've done into the biggest paycheck we can get, we want to make one of these movies. And then Malkovich and Turturro and Martin Landau and all these people come onto it suddenly, like you've got like the dream, which is like you're making a movie of a certain kind that you wanted, that you came up loving, but nobody's like, you know, no, nothing's gonna, the Titanic's not gonna sink over it, right? And so yeah. you can have fun. You can go for the, you can go for the thing the way it's supposed to be without just like macro corporate pressure, like down on your head. Right. And, and in a funny way at that exact moment, that was that exact moment where frankly, what, you know, just to give credit where credit is due Miramax in that era rewrote like the way people were approaching these things. They said, Hey, look, we're going to get auteur driven things and we're going to get great actors and we're going to get people and we're going to put them together around projects and we're going to make them for reasonable amounts of money and spend smart and make money. And the whole industry had to change. The whole industry started Miramax like labels. All the old studios started their version of Fox Searchlight or what, you know, because it was like, holy crap, you can make margins in these kinds of films. And Rounders was right at that moment when people are going how the hell did they get all those people together and everything? But it was a great way to work. It and was yet, a great way and yet to work. ironically, the movie bombed. It had a slow burn because it yeah. didn't do well in the theaters and then belatedly did really well. And by the way, in the era too, where the industry had not been asleep at the, you know, later they were so asleep at the switch, they handed off the entirety of the home video value to a a company that had never existed called Netflix, right? right? They they literally they literally snoozed away their entire secondary distribution right. business, right? But in those days, if Rounders, you know, was a little anemic at the box office or not what they hoped or whatever, it didn't matter because they owned that long tail life, yep. right? And they could do great on it, and they did. Same with Fight Club, which Fight Club was a a much bigger bomb at the box office relative to was it, it? I much bigger oh, than wow. Rounders. Fight Club cost 68 million bucks. I think it did like 35 at the box office, right? And God, it, I felt like that movie was an event. It was an event, but it was a it, it was an event that unfolded over a longer period of time than a studio accountant would like to see on opening weekend. And it was a slap in the face. I think everybody felt like disappointed, a little stung, whatever. It got booed at the Venice Film Festival. And it was kind of this thing of like, wait a minute, we're, Brad and I honestly like smoked a joint and watched the movie in the back of the Venice Film Festival. And at the, in the dark, at the end, people were booing and Brad turned to me in the dark and goes, that's one of the best movies that we will ever be in. 
And I felt the same, you know, yeah. like we, we had a conviction, but, but it took a minute. It took a minute to form the best thing in the world, which is that direct conversation with the audience it was intended for. And what you're saying was an event was in fact, just this pause it needed for the word to get out and people to find it. And lo and behold, that movie financially ultimately did very, very well because it was the era where they were selling their own DVDs and not, you know, stream, you know, getting pennies on the dollar. Well, I was and thinking, so, and so it, so it was, it was a, it was a cool time because in a lot of ways, if you were willing to come in with rounders and make it in the right way, yeah, which we were, you, 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 it was, it was fine, and it, I mean, it was never more fun. There's, you can't have more fun making a movie than we had making that movie. It, it was everything we all got into the stupid trade of the whole thing to do. You know what I mean? It was like, I have, I rem, I said this when I talked to the, the guy for the, the oral ringer history, for yeah. that oral history. It's like, I remember standing on eighth Avenue in the cold with Matt, Ted Demi, Koppelman and Levine. Um, and Martin Landau's like telling stories about James Dean. Yeah. And you're just going like, don't anybody wake me up. Like this is this is this is this is too fun, you know. But I was thinking about those first five years you have in Hollywood because you were a stage actor first, and then Primal Fear happens and immediately becomes you were immediately thrown into the whole mainstream. Yeah. In those five yeah. years, it was such a fun time for film. The movie you just did, Melodious Brooklyn, which took forever to make, um, is kind of a throwback to that era where movies like that were actually made where yeah, it's, I mean, I, uh, I talked I, I, a lot of good actors into being in yes, it. It yes. doesn't cost. No, that's true. A that's crazy true. amount of money. And it was like a huge passion project. Yes. I, all that's true. I, I think, um, look, I love, and I, I think a lot of people love, you know, LA confidential or, um, Chinatown's a tricky movie. I, I love Chinatown, but it's it's a it's a dark and strange and hard movie. It's it hasn't aged great. It's it the movie parts age great. The themes are oh yeah it's, rougher it's, it's in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree, but yeah. but I I do think that that um I sometimes think it almost gets underestimated how much audiences enjoy a, a that kind of classic film that takes them into an era with no tongue in cheek, no no like wink wink to like. 50s irony or you know even like Mad Men is a little bit like it's 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 a little bit knowing right I yeah. what what was great about LA Confidential as like a period kind of noir thing was it was like no 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 these are real like weighty actors playing this totally straight the product it looks great the music was great and you kind of like I couldn't tell you what the plot of LA Confidential was today but you were just like five minutes in you were like I'm I'm in for the drift on this one because I just like being here. Yeah. I'm just I'm happy to be here because they're doing it well, like really well, you know? And and I I think um Mother's Book and that that was a big part of what was in my head because New York New York in that era was an incredible it was an, 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 an there was an incredible stuff going on between what was going on in jazz clubs, the the changes that were taking place um in the city, the these deep dark things if you know if LA's deep dark secret is that it, it's built on stolen water you know like what what New York's deep dark secret is that in 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 the exact era when everyone sort of 
thinks of as the post-war democratic utopia, like there was a guy running New York City who was literally more of an autocrat. He, he, he was a dictatorial autocrat like Darth Vader, who was a racist. And he, he, he had an uncontested power in New York, an unelected guy who ran the city and defined New York's infrastructure with his racism in ways that it still can't solve today. It still can't figure out, you know, he wouldn't let trains be in the LIE corridor. He wouldn't, he built, he tore down black neighborhoods and built the projects, which became the worst slums in the world. And he, he literally like made the Dodgers move to LA. I mean, he, this guy was a dark, dark figure of imperial power. And he did damage that we still can't fix. Um, and people just don't even know this. They don't even know that this happened. So it's, um, like it, you know, to me, it was ripe. It was ripe to, to have one of those movies where you just kind of like, you go, you go for the ride through that era. The directing yourself thing. I know this is a boring, hacky question, but I'm, I just think that's so impressive when people can run a movie, but then also inhabit a character at the same time. And I think it's almost, <laughs> for lack of a better word, weird. It's weird. I, I, it's, yeah. a, it's a weird talent to have where you could be like, um, it is. It's I'm uh, Mr. Norton here directing everybody, but now nah, I'm going to be this character again. It's schizophrenic. Um, in a way it's, it's not, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It, 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 it does. Um, it is illogical because it's very different sides of your brain. Um, yeah. and ping ponging between them, I think, uh, is it's suboptimal. For both jobs in a way. I was going to say, what's is, does it lower the ceiling of each job? So you're looking at like an A minus max <laughs> for both of them. And that's I hope it? not. I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, to me, it's, it's one of those things that I, you know, you look at like going all the way back, like Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, the guy was 25 yeah. years old. He made this massive American film, very talky film about the American character. You know, he did weird shots. He did all this kind of stuff. And he played a guy from age 20 to his death, you know? Right. It's ballsy. It's just, it's ballsy as hell. It was weird. It was misunderstood at the time, but it became like one of those things that everyone looked at. And that inspired like Warren Beatty, like made Reds and people told, Warren told me that people told him, Nobody in the world wants to see a three-hour movie about American socialists with documentary footage from <laughs> right. the era. You are going to—your whole career that you've built, you're going to flush on this. And he was like, you know what? Like, it's the movie I want to see. Like, I want to see this movie. So, you know— It seems like so many of off. these actors hit that point where they're just like, fuck off, I'm doing this. Yeah, well, I mean, and and also Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven, Kevin Costner, Dances with Wolves. Yeah. And I'm not even commenting on the films, although these are all— really good films. Ben Affleck did it with Argo, you know, and yeah. he did it. He did it with a lot of people throwing shade on him. Yeah. Like when, when Ben did that, I was like on my feet. I was like, that's fucking right. I was like, you, I, it's so great when people do it because in some ways I think at a certain moment, if you've done it long enough, you get, you get a sense of like what the nature of the audience's favorite relationship with you is. And part of those things, films we all just named is in some ways it's an actor going, Hey, there's a story I really get and I fit in it. Yeah. It's, it's in the sweet spot for me. And, and, you know, 
I know enough now to know how to do this. And sometimes something very special emerges from that because I think, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I, who knows why, but, um, and you know, by the way, my friend Liz Banks is, she's like one of the only women in Hollywood directing the movies that she's in now. And she's killing it, like killing it. Do you, you know? feel like you get lost in the movie where even when you're not on the set, it's just, you're the only one who could see not only the movie, but the the main performance in it. The, the, no, can the, you the, like watch a Yankee game at seven thirty when you're going through all this stuff? Yeah, I put on like, you know, I put on like the documentary about Quincy Jones when I go. Just so I'm like, <laughs> right. chill let me out. hear some good music and yeah. chill out, right? But I part of it is part of it is having people people around you. Anybody who does this will say the same thing, which is you. You 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 know you say something completely crazy. You go, I'm gonna make. I'm going to make a a big scale American epic about New York in the 50s. It's not going to be a little diorama. We're going to have like car chases through Manhattan. We're going to shut down 20 blocks. We're going to shoot in big spaces and big places. We're going to have a big A-list cast, Bruce Willis and Willem Dafoe and all these people. And we're going to do it all for 26 million bucks. And, oh, my character has Tourette's syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder. And like, most people's eyes cross and just go like, like we're in the Edward Norton business generally on this one, we're taking a pass. You know what I mean? But then you get like a great DP and a great, you get like those actors say yes to doing it for no money. Like all my cast did this for scale, did me a huge solid, you know what I mean? And you get these people that start levering their talent against sort of this crazy thing you've set up and all of a sudden, it's like becoming possible, you know, and there's the, like a, a moment, there's kind of this tipping moment where the whole thing is like, oh, my God, like, what are we doing? They're going to take away my license. This is all right. thing. And suddenly there's like someday you walk in and you realize, like, I got one of the great cinematographers of all time shooting this. And he's done all of Mike Lee's films in 45 days and he, he can do this. And you start seeing like other people are really bringing a game and you start going, wow, they're making me look like I know what I'm doing, you know? And you start, you're delegating, you're delegating to really good people. And then even when you got to act in it, you know, you can turn and look at that cameraman and go, um, are we good? Like, do I, I don't, I can't manage this right now. Are right. we good? We've talked about it. We know what we're going for. And if he goes thumbs up, like, you're like, we got it. We're moving. And when you start having that kind of that that's how it works. It's like you're not alone at the table. It's yeah. like you're you've got a team and that team is what pulls it off and um you you're playing a guy with Tourette's and OCD in <laughs> 2019 when everybody on the internet is going to come after you if you don't hit those two things correctly. And you had to have been wary of that. Uh, to it to a degree except that over time you know, talking to people who have that condition. It it, it came from a book uh, that was a very different plot than my movie. It's set in con- modern times, yeah. the book, but the character is the same, a detective with Tourette syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder. People love the book. What I found was people with Tourette syndrome love the book. They love it. They love like the humanity. They, they think it's authentic. They love that you're inside his head knowing him in his full like depth as a person while you watch his condition cause him all kinds of problems that are funny, that are, that are painful. They love the complex presentation of him. 
and and I knew the other thing is that Tourette syndrome is it's a wild thing in the sense that some some people have like not they they, they blink compulsively you wouldn't even know yeah you know or they they like you probably have known someone who seems like they're always like cracking their neck but they might have mild Tourette's you know what I mean all the way up the spectrum to people who have the vocal component where they shout or compulsively say a word over and over again in the middle of conversation, or like the one that's sort of the cliche, they they scream like X-rated or really offensive things. Yeah, which is which is actually not at all the majority of people. Some people have remember the remember Chris Jackson, the basketball player. Yeah, he had Tourette syndrome. I remember seeing him in person; it was he, mesmerizing. He, and and I in the film, the thing of touching the touching the shoulder of someone else compulsively he i took that off him cuz he he talked about it in this one documentary and talked about how his his impulse to tap people even when he was defending people in the films you can see him doing it yeah um but he he also had talked about how when he was young and it was coming on him he it was paralyzing cuz he 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 couldn't leave uh the free throw line until he heard 10 that went through the net and sounded right and that's why he was like, what, he was like a 98.5% free throw shooter or whatever? Right. And he during games, when you watched him, I'd never seen anything like this before where he had his process that he was going to stick to. But there's a game going on with nine <laughs> other people and a clock. Yeah. And, you know, his free throw line, it, everything had to be the same on the free mm -hmm. throw shot no matter what. And, you know, you felt bad for him, but it was also kind of weirdly like courageous to yeah. watch this dude battling this. Well, and, and also then, there, as, as there's a trumpet player that you know, Michael K. Williams uh, plays who who says to my character, like, you know, your head, basically he says, your head is like mine. This is, that's how jazz works too. It's like, you can't stop. Yeah. And some people call it a, a gift, but it is a brain affliction, right? It, that he's saying, mu you know, musical obsession is a gift, but it is a, a brain affliction too. And And I think that there's, that's to me part of, the beauty of like an anybody and the things they struggle with, there's often like weird gifts in it, even though it's a struggle. And he was, you know, he was a great free throw shooter because of the same yeah. set of obsessions. And that, that too, I put in the film because I love the idea that until something sounds right, you can't stop doing it. And so there's that one scene where like when the blonde girl hits on my character at the bar, he, he, it goes disastrously because yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he can't light her cigarette without blowing out the match because it doesn't sound right. And, 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 you know, I, I, I thought the idea of someone who the, what they're, what they deal with is way more extreme than what you or I deal with, but, but you still identify, you identify with like the isolation you identify with, Oh, everybody can identify with like, feeling misunderstood, feeling underappreciated or, or, or taken for granted and, you know, not, or even, even the way you get in your own way, but it's like, and, and, and we don't all have like Tourette syndrome. We're not all like autistic, like Rain Man, but there's something you still, with those characters, like Matt's, you know, Matt's movie, Goodwill Hunting, right? Which is a great example of that to me. He's, He's a working class kid. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got anger problems. He's got all kinds of problems and ways he's getting in his own way. But he has this thing in his head, you know, and and he's got to he's got to rise in the film. He's got to like kind of get over his own 
like barriers right. to maximize the 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 talent that he's got and that and I think we like those movies we like we like underdogs we like to watch an underdog get there because somewhere down inside it goes a we feel good about ourselves for rooting for him but also we kind of go like hey if he can if he can get there I can get I can get there in some way you know what I mean you mentioned the New York part of this movie you made 25th hour I think it was you were making it in O two or when O one? Not O one because it was no, after nine no, eleven. Yeah, we made it in the um, we made it in the early summer of O two. Yeah, I think it was right. like the first movie shot in New York. Well, that but that's that's become its legacy where it's become it's kind of like a post nine eleven movie and it has this added weight to it. Like when you watch it now, where it yeah. really feels like it's very melancholy. It's good. But it's, I, do people ask you about that movie? Because it feels like that has become a very, very New York movie. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, a, a lot of people, I think, rightly think it's one of Spike Lee's better films, you know? And I, I, I think it, I have it in the top three for me. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, I can't say enough about Spike. Spike, Spike is misunderstood. Spike, Spike is a person who, because his personality is so big, and because he can say very provocative and iconoclastic things, it it almost masks what uh, what an obsessive um, craftsman he is, and and also I think how much compassion is actually in his movies. He, he it's almost like people relate to Spike, and and it affects the way they look at the films. But but he that guy. That guy is one of the best prepared directors that I have ever worked with, ever. Phil Hoffman and I were both obsessed. You know, I mean, like, Do the Right Thing was one of the most important films of, like, our growing up. You know, right. I mean, I think that was one of the movies, if you went to public school and grew up in a city. When I saw that movie, it was like someone set a hand grenade off in the theater. Like, yeah, know, the, when he pushed in on people and they're screaming their inner monologue about, you know, race and... It was like, oh, my, like nobody was saying those things. And Chuck D on the soundtrack singing, you know, Elvis was a hero to most. He never meant shit to me. It was like people's minds were melting. You know, it was like yeah. you forget, like when you go back and you realize like, like how, what a, what a grenade that film set off in terms of the conversation. It, it, it And he was doing whatever the hell he wanted. He was like talking to the camera. He was like. It was like all Spike, you know? And he had characters in that movie that I just had never seen in a movie before. Never, never. And he was in the movie. Like, yeah. And he's funny in the movie, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and 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 language that was like, became part of the language. That's to the curb, Mookie, you know what I mean? It's like, there was stuff that, it, it was it was so significant. And, um, and yet, like, the end of the movie is really this, question mark it's this like he puts up the quote from martin luther king saying violence is not a path and then he puts up the malcolm x quote saying sometimes violence is very legitimate and he just puts it right in your lap and goes what is your active thought about this not i'm going to answer this for you not i have an answer but we have to talk about this yeah you know and that is that's like maturity i mean that's like real that's like actually doing something as a filmmaker. He made people talk about one of the things we don't like to talk about, you know, and people talk about it more be, because of it. You know what I mean? And and it was kind of like. 
when you did that movie with him, he was, you know, that's, he was almost like an athlete who had played in the NBA for a few seasons. He's like, all right, I know everything that I'm doing at this point. Yeah. He he made that movie in 26 days. I've never, uh, Chill and I looked at each other and we're like, how is that even possible? We're going to make, and he did it six weeks of rehearsal, like a play, every shot planned and boarded and listed down in the thing. You've never seen a director move through a film like he did on that. I, Phil, at one, th- at one point, Phil and I, we, uh, we were just sitting there. We were like, this is heaven. This is like, this is like the way, this is what we wanted to do. And with like one of the masters and um, it, it, it was just great. But also like he got game, like he got game is, he got games with the best movies ever made about sports and money and America. Like it, it's so, that movie's so masterful. It's like people don't even appreciate, I think, how great that movie is. You worked with Phil Hoffman. He was he was pretty well known and successful at that point. But oh, yeah, he was like he was still the arrow was still pointing up. What do you remember about working with him? Well, we we kind of came up in New York or in the same era. We were both like building theater companies, and um, you know, he was like a, a real New Yorker. I was too, and uh, you know, he he was one of those guys that. In a way, he started to register, get work and stuff more than earlier than any of us. Like he was like Bobby a son of a woman. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And but like like my the people I sort of a, a you know like Mark Ruffalo and Bobby Cannavale and Sam Rockwell. Like there was a lot of people I I you know knew were in New York from the New York theater scene. They were good and. It was kind of like you you knew you could see people were getting their cracks at things and it's exciting. But Phil, but in a lot of ways, I think Phil Phil was kind of almost like more respected sooner by the rest of us. Yeah. You know, and it was like we it was kind of like the rest of the world was going to catch up um, eventually. But but he was you know by then he he was doing PTA's movies and he was um, he was like one of the greats. You know, I think hadn't I don't know if he had done Capote. At that point, maybe, maybe. I think that was coming. That was coming. Yeah. But um, that we did two films that year. We did Red Dragon and then Spike's movie. And then we were both, he was directing a play and I was doing a play like right next to each other. It was really, it was probably, probably when I got to know him better, even than I had known him. Um, And uh, uh, just, you know, I, I think he was, I think he was like, it's stupid to say like the best in, our, but he, he was one of the people in my cohort who I think every actor thought like he is, he's like, he's like he's, the high bar of, right. of just quality and balls and guts. And, you know, he, the respect level for Phil was like infinite, you know, among actors. Damon, when he was on this pod, he told a story about it was the same thing where you're saying now about how everybody knew each other or was aware of each other, but then these great roles would come up and everybody would go for the roles. And he was like, had this one movie primal fear came in and then this guy, Ed Norton and that guy from New York and he stepped in and got that role. But he was like, we were all going for that role. And it seemed like there was a few of them in the nineties that it was just like, Oh, that role. Yeah. Those things. I mean, I, but like I think Matt and I were both up for, um, 
you know, the the Grisham movie that Francis Coppola directed. Uh, oh, yeah, Rainmaker. Rainmaker right? yeah. And Matt, you know, Matt, yeah, got, Matt that got that one. one. <laughs> and it was kind of like, fuck, he didn't work with Coppola. I went out to Napa. He cooked me dinner. I was like, well, yeah. I, think I, I think I might get this, you know. And then it's just like, what? No, you snake. You know what I mean? No, it's, and, but you know what's really funny? Honestly, like, like there's these moments you you look at things and you go, yeah, that was that was the right call. Like like Matt was like better in that than I would have been. Like he he was, as as in many things. Like he's he's just great. You know, he's great. And he's got like, you know, it's like I think things kind of fall the way they are supposed to, you know. You think every time or like nine out of ten times? Well, obviously there's gotta be somewhere it's like, oh man. I mean, obvi- uh, yeah. obviously the Wachowskis should have put me in the Matrix, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, like I totally, you know, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Because literally like I think Keanu Reeves is like, you can't imagine that movie. You could have been John Wick. Uh, you get no. the whole arc. Can I ask you about yeah. the behind the head dunk in American History X? Is it behind the head? I think yes, it was. Yes, yes, You're going to call me out. What, 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 what do you want to know? Well, white men can't jump. Is that what you're? I, I think it could have been a one hander okay. facing the rim. You really went for it. Plus, you were jacked. I, I was not as jacked as people think. We cast people very small around me. Uh, Is that true? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I'm six feet tall, but I like if I'm in shape, I weigh 155, 160. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not like I, I, I put on I probably put on, you know, I was probably. 25 pounds up from what I normally am, but I'm still just not that big right. frame. But we literally did, you know, this is one thing I do. When, when you watch Tootsie and you don't really notice that Dustin Hoffman is a lot shorter than Jessica Lange, you, right. you learn things about the way camera can work. And, and um, one thing you, you, if, if I'm in the frame, the camera doesn't see my size, it sees my shape, right? So you wanted, if you have mass and you have definition, you can look really jacked, right? Um, but if you put a guy who's legit 220 next to me, I'm not going to look that big, right? And in fact, in the movie, the guy who actually, the, the skinhead in the prison who actually like rapes my yeah. character, that guy was like a Division One A football player. Oh, and, Jesus. And you can see. Yeah, yeah. He's like way bigger than me, like way bigger than me. But we cast in the film all around me, we cast like a lot of people who were more my size or thinner or smaller or whatever. And you, you feel it. You feel this like, you know, like Guy Tori, the great the actor who's in the prison with me, the guy he becomes friends with who kind of gets him over right. his hate in a lot of ways. Guy's really small. You know what I mean? So I look I look pretty big. But um, so nobody brings up the two handed dunk to you. They um. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are kinder than you. They, 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 I'm just no, curious. I'm, I'm totally curious. Just, no, you know what's really funny is um because the scene's good. There's good basketball you, in yeah. that scene. Well, you're I, actually I play, impressive. I played basketball. I played, ba- I played yeah, basketball I in high, so I, I I was I was okay. You know, um, I, I I rode the bench, but I you know I I I tried, um, so I, I could fake it. And um, but we did something stupid, which is we we save that sort of. Because they wanted to put a one camera up on a crane, we were just like saving it for the end of the yeah. day. And my legs were like toast. But if, <laughs> but I so I knew I wasn't gonna be able to like dunk or anything. Right. So then they were like, it was basically like, look, the angles are gonna be from straight above and they're gonna be from way below, right? So they they literally were like, they were like, Well, how, how low do you want it? 
right? And of course your ego, like everyone's standing around, like listening and you go, and you go, and I, and I made a terrible mistake. This is, I go, I go, yeah, you know, like nine, nine feet, nine feet's good, whatever, whatever. So they put it nine feet and I'm like, donk, like ball into the rim, ball into the rim, ball. And then your legs are getting tired and tired. And then you go like, okay, lower, you know, knock it, knock it down a little bit. And, and then guys start going, oh, right. And, right, then you're right. Like, and I had to notch it down like three times. See, this is why yeah. I've always wanted to, um, my services as a sports movie scene consultant, <laughs> where anytime right. there's a scene like this, they just, they fly me in. I'm like, exactly. let's start Edward here at like eight and eight feet, two inches. Yeah. Just get, for, let's no, get for, his confidence let, up. Let me tell you, what, we'll let me tell you what you should have said had you been there first. You should have gone. Clear the set. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Clear the set. Well, Every, what... Everybody who doesn't need to be here, get out of here. Like, you know what I mean? Now put up some, uh, you know, now put up some scrims so that no one can see. The costume. Set the camera. Now put the rim at seven feet. <laughs> seven like, feet. You know what I mean? Costa was here a couple months ago talking about for love of the game and how the pressure of when you're pitching and not only is it the set, but they oh. had all these extras in the stands. But he said it was positive, like he got adrenaline from it. But yeah, they don't, we don't think about this stuff when no, when our favorite know. actors have to be in sports movie play. scenes. Well, what? that's it. By the way, he got game. You know, the lead is Ray Allen, right? Right. Ray, yeah, Ray plays the lead in. Uh, I bet I got in Spike. Spike's great basketball movie because he was like, you can't fake this stuff. He's got to be great. I had Spike and Denzel tell the same story about how. Denzel snookered Ray Allen because they're supposed to play the game and it's supposed to be 10 nothing. And Denzel actually tries to score on him and scores the first four. And Ray didn't know what was going on and gets mad and the whole thing. Like that's great. Yeah. Spike used it against him. What did do I mean, how great is Denzel in that movie? I mean, oh, he's that, it, it's like that's this, my this, favorite this, Denzel. It's it's you know, but by the way, like I bet I bet Matt, I feel like when we were doing rounders, one of the things I remember was sitting in the car in the cold. We were so obsessed with Midnight Run and we would like create these conversations yeah. out of Midnight Run dialogue and all these things. But also he does a really, really good Morgan Freeman impersonation. So we were like doing Glory. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're like, do I was like doing Denzel, like I love the 54th and he's like <laughs> right. doing Morgan Freeman, like, you know. And, um, but I think if, if you had a bunch of us, I think a lot of people would say pound for pound, like Denzel's, the best actor working in in the business because he he's a, one of the greatest stage actors in America. Like with full stop, no question, classical. You know, Julius Caesar, The Iceman Cometh. I mean, this guy has done like canonical, big classical theater. Fences by August Wilson, which yeah. I would say him and Viola Davis in Fences was one of the greatest things I've ever seen on stage. I've wow. never seen an audience weeping like that. Like it it was so, the, the film was really good. On stage, I think it was one of the greatest performances I've seen on stage, that duet. Wow. And he, um, and he's a great character actor, right? Like, like, you know, that one um, recently he did about the guy, uh, Oh, now I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Tony Gilroy's, uh, um, Dan Gilroy's movie. He's a lawyer. What's that? Yeah, Ro Ro yeah Ro Roman. Yeah, Roman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I know what you're talking about. I don't know why I'm forgetting the name, but but he he'll play like, you know, like Hurricane Carter or the character in uh, uh, in um. Well, Training Day, he becomes Evil Denzel. Yeah, yeah, and then he's 
this, you know, he's one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Like he, he does, he really does it all. You know what I mean? He's, we just taped a rewatchable. But very, very few people are like that. And, and I, like, right. I think Daniel Day Lewis is one of the greatest actors ever anything. But like, it's, he hasn't, he hasn't like, you know, who has, who is, who is one of the greatest stage actors in the country, a huge movie star and actually like one of the really great film character actors too. Right. It's like, there just aren't many people like that. It's like LeBron. Yeah, we just did a rewatchables about uh, Remember the Titans, mm. which is just Denzel. Like, I'm just going to be a movie star in this movie. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to coach, just do Denzel stuff and get out of here. And then, but the same year he did Training Day. Yeah. And could do both at the same time. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much always in with him. You know, I never, I don't really tire of it. You ever. never worked with him mm -hmm. though. Yeah. So that five years, 95 to basically... Let's say 99, 2000. Do you feel like that could come back? Because, you know, I, I think the narrative now is like, it's all going to be big movies and comic book movies, all this stuff. But I do feel like the streaming services, as they start pouring more and more money into how to differentiate themselves from each other, we're already seeing it with Netflix. I mean, mm -hmm. I know the Irishman was super expensive, but for the most part, I Not wonder. super, like insanely. Right. Much more than people are reporting. Yeah. But. I wonder if we're heading toward an era where that 20 to $35 million movie could actually be like a competitive advantage for Netflix when they're trying to go against HBO Max and Disney mm -hmm. Plus. And maybe this will come back. Maybe it's not going to take <coughs> six, seven years for you to make a movie like the one you made. Well, let's put it this way. If I want, if I had, if I'd pivoted and said, I'm going to make this movie on Netflix, it wouldn't have taken me five, six years now. I could have right. made it, I could have made it like in, an, I could have had a yes in an afternoon, I think legitimately, you yeah. know what I mean? And, I, and I, I'm not saying that in a, in a knock way. I think it's, but I think that's, I think that's a good thing. I think that's me where too. we're heading. Me I don't too. know how long it's going to last, but it's going to reinvent I, I stuff. I have no, um, if you're on the, like, if you're on the creativity side of the equation, and you get into a headspace where you think you're entitled to someone else's money to make what you want to make, you you need to check yourself, like, because yeah. you're not. You're not. Like, other people are in the game of assessing the risks and rewards to them of, like, bankrolling your crazy notion and really just betting on you because these things are fundamentally just execution dependent and there is no way to guarantee it's going to come off, right? So you you can't ever lose a, a deep appreciation for um, the, the risks and stresses entailed in people bankrolling your work, right? And I, like, I never feel that if someone's saying no and they're saying no politely, I get, you know, like, I I get it. Like, it, 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 you, you can't, like, go, like, how can they not like, you know, make my 1950s thing about a Tourettic detective, you know right. I mean? To listen to how that sounds even, it's crazy, right? You just have to like, but when the, but the people who do step to the things you want to do, they, they really become your like allies for life, you know, when it goes well and um, you feel lucky, right? Uh, but I think that, first of all, I, I don't, agree i don't agree that it's not possible for sort of the traditional um model of of studios focused on theatrical distribution in theaters and then things to make original 
um, uh, adult movies without losing their shirt, but but some certain things are required, and you have to be smart. Like Toby Emmerich, the guy who runs Warner Brothers, like he, you know, he is a was been a huge champion of my film. We had to we sort of made it independently, but with a promise from Warner to distribute it and and kick in at the end and everything. We had to raise a good amount of money independently, but he gave me a route to making it to get to make a very, you know, like personal and eclectic film um, that nobody could really say like, wow, how will that work? Like, will that work like sort of a Rain Man, yeah, Forrest yeah. Gumpy kind of a character in in a kind of a cool old fashioned Delhi Confidential kind of story? Will it work to have Tom York from Radiohead writing songs and Wynton Marsalis doing jazz Will that mashup work, right? No, they couldn't know. And then basically it's like the way we did it, it it could work. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, yeah, creatively, I got you. but we did it for a number. If you get a cast to say, we'll do this for scale and you make that movie for like 26 million net, it's a whole different equation than, than if everybody like maxes out on getting paid and a budget that blows up and all these things that that studios tend to do right so i it's not out of the and we have the uh, the smaller studios too like the a24s yeah yeah and now my could my movie get made with an a24 like i i don't think so because we did we it's a big movie right yeah. it's a big movie um and and could you really do what we love about the la confidential type movies Below a certain number, probably not. Like I, I, I you not. I'm not looking, you know, for extra credit. But like, even making the movie we made at the scale we made it for the number for the number we made it for has been dropping the jaws of some of my. Uh, I, some people don't believe me. I've had like filmmakers say like, "What did you get? Seventy five, eighty days to do that?" And we, you know, we did it in forty six, and we're proud of it, right? Um, I think you can. I think you can. If you're if everybody's passionate enough about it, you can do it in the traditional construct and actually do it in ways that they're not that they don't have to do crazy numbers to make money on it, actually make money on it. But I think that there's no question that certain things um, right now, probably the most the, the, the most opportune new set of doors to knock on is exactly what you said. It's the streaming services. But, but, you know, I also think we've gotten over this thing where there's like this prejudice against television. You know, I'm a movie actor. I don't do television. That's, that's gone. That's over, right? Um, every, the best people, Meryl Streep's in like long, you know, series. Big Little Lies, yeah, yeah. right? And, and it's one of the best things. She's, as always, like great no matter what the format, right? And everybody's kind of knows that and the world's changed. And I think it's great. It's not the same as the 90s. What happened in the 90s that was exciting for all of us was there was a reshaping. There was a, there was a new understanding of ways you could do it. And suddenly all these new doors got created because of Miramax's success. And for us, it produced suddenly this thing where people could come with their weird ideas and, and get it done. Right. But the same thing is happening now. The same thing is happening now. That's what this all represents. I would say you could make the case that there's, it's, never been easier for diverse and eclectic visions to find their way into the That's world. That's how I feel. I think this it's I think this is a new narrative. It's an incredible moment. By the way, you you haven't really done the TV thing. No, but I I've been right. I mean, I wrote I wrote um 
a miniseries for HBO about the Lewis and Clark expedition that w- will get done. I loved, I loved working. Because now you can do seven episodes. Yeah, that's why I think. They get the billboard, you get the side of the Soho House building, and they'll promote the shit out of it, and then you're done in seven weeks. It's, it's, uh, it's, um, to me, whinging about anybody who's like, like sort of, I, you can't not be excited if you're a creative person. You can't not be excited about the scale of the, the way that all, now. Was there anything out there that you were jealous of? Like TV stuff? Where you're like, oh man, oh, I didn't I know mean, that could happen. Well, think about like The Wire and what that did. No, I mean, you know? I mean recent stuff. Oh, like recent? you watch Fleabag oh. and you're like, wow. I just, I've been just catching up on Six that. Six 25 really minute funny. episodes yeah, and really. this is. But, the, but by the way, the original Ricky Gervais office was like that. I mean. Yeah. That I was like, that's one of the best things I've ever seen. You know what I mean? The, when are you going to be on Billions? <laughs> Don't you owe those guys? Owe them. You can't go on for one episode, play like some billionaire, evil billionaire. You could, you could, he could be like again. He could be for all the things you're against. If I, you if I say, flip if I yourself. say on a mic like, like with sort of a sour, petulant tone, like, yeah, those guys haven't invited me. They're going to ring me like. You know, Is that and, true? They haven't invited you? No, they probably have. I've been I've been really down the hole with my maybe they just as, film. As, they don't want to get rejected. That's, so they haven't that's asked possible. you. That's possible. You um, should go on. Just um, do one episode. They they probably asked me in the beginning if I if I would but look how successful it is if I'd you said yeah. You could play an you could have a weird accent. You could that's do true. 90 billion things. Um, when are you gonna be at like in a what's your sports movie? When is this happening? Mm. Can't you be like a like a NBA coach who's I, I bounced knew you, around? I knew you were going to say that I'm in the coach era of yeah. my life. No, no, you've been. Jesus. Wow, I mean, yeah, no, I'm fifty. You turned fifty so. I know, a I know. month before I did. I know. Um, yeah, you're like your mm. coach. You've this is your last chance. You've been fired two other times. How old was Redford when he did the natural? Well, he. I mean, I they had to look it up. No, he um, was. He was. He was. He was older then, and that, and they worked that into the story. They had to. I think he was like forty six, <laughs> forty seven. But they Could had be. to do like weird lighting shit with him. Yeah, great sports movie though. So you, so you're ready to still be in a sports movie? Great sports movie. You haven't um, given up. Maybe the, that's the, the sports the, movie. The comeback story of the a fifty year old three point shooter. Ping pong player. <laughs> hey, you're a three point shooter. You're just like the that's best. True. You can you, spread the floor, put you in the corner. What about um? Who's the oldest? Who's the oldest fit person who ever had a major sports moment? It's really cool. well. It would have to be a golfer. You'd golfer. be a golfer. Yeah. yeah. You could be like. Uh, can you play golf? Anyone like in their forties ever win an Olympic medal? I wonder. That's tough. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's some new sport. Yeah. You had an advantage. Maybe but it's hey, esports. If if I can get Scorsese to direct the movie, he can just age me backwards. <laughs> That's true. Right? How Net, do you feel about get that? Netflix to pay to age me in uh, backwards. Does this worry you that we're gonna have the technology soon to for somebody to go take performances you've already done and do weird things to them? Nobody's gonna no, no the 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 real cost of that is not going to make sense to anybody in most situations. I hope not. Um, I never it's, asked you about Fincher. What'd you learn from him? You worked with him early in his career, but it was, that was badly. his, that was his, I'm here movie. Um, well, I, I, for me, like seven, yeah, I mean, I guess the game in the game. No, but I mean like, those, he's those like, were, I'm, these aren't flukes. I'm actually yeah. going to be here for the long haul. I, I don't uh, look when you, when you're involved, when, a when, when a director with his kind of talent meets a piece of text, it's almost like it it's almost like it was designed for the best of what they can do. 
it's so cool to be around that and see it going on um, and know that they're firing in, that they're in that zone. Yeah. I felt that way with Inuridu on Birdman. It's like you, you're watching yeah. and you're like, I am watching someone like in the zone where they are, they're just connecting on every level. And, um, you know, pound for pound, David's like without a doubt, one of the most talented across every department. You've worked with some fucking awesome directors. Yeah. That's well, it. That's got to be 90% intentional. 10% luck. 10% luck. Yeah. Milos Forman. Um, who was one of my heroes, People versus Larry Flynn, but he had done Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus and a lot of these things. Um, and Spike and Fincher and... Who's left? Yeah, Wes Anderson. Um, You've done three Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, yeah, and I love him. Uh, Eastwood? I learned, I love, you know... I, Eastwood, you're out of there. It's like yeah, 10 to 4, you're done. Golfing. Um, you, learn, you learn things from absolutely everybody. You learn things even from the people who quietly you think are kind of like screwing it up because... You watch, you watch, you watch, you know, watching things, watching things that aren't going so great um, right. is very instructive. You know what I mean? And um, it's as instructive as watching things that are great. But I do think that um, when you watch people um, who have real game, uh, you know, and it, 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 it's like, it's a masterclass all the time. You know what I mean? Every day it's like you're, you're, you're getting to, um, and and that doesn't mean that you're gonna um, nobody nobody grabs anybody's style really like like if you're you, it's always gonna you're picking up tricks no it's gonna yeah tip. it's gonna run through you but you but yeah but it's 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 like it's little stuff and big stuff but that more like how do they how do they make this process flow how do they how do they get the work done in the time they've got how do they you know, create an environment. What you know, it's just I, you could go on and on, but they. But, but we have to go. Yeah. Um, because the door just opened, which means we have to go. Got I don't it. know who opened it, but it sound it felt ominous. No. But, um, uh, how old's your son, though? My son is six. Have does he know yet that you could have just kept being the Incredible Hulk and you <laughs> gave up? Because he's going to be mad about this at some point. No. Probably no. about a year from now. No, he. Big he, Dad, he, I was just on the internet. It's really why you grew- gave up the Incredible Hulk. What happened? He, God, I hope he's not on the internet. <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, I'm ta- my son's 11. I'm telling you, he's going to go well, on the internet 11. and start reading about you soon. Yeah, he, he has not. He Beautifully, he he has not. He doesn't know. He just doesn't know. Superheroes yet. Um, oh, that will happen too. I know. I'm sure it will. Um, but, uh, and by the way, it's like, I'm not, I, you know, I was, I subscribed to like five different comic books. I, I, I was like, I was a real fan. Um, uh, it, 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 my view of that, first of all, like, you know, clickbait journalism, people should know that in among the many ways that the matrix is trying to like turn you into a mindless consumer. Yeah. There's the obvious ones, you know, like high fructose corn syrup kind of movies that come out, you know, like machine produced yeah. from any number of like shops and then want you to check out and then want you to buy shit later. Right. We, that's familiar to us. We can sort of spot that. We can sort of see that. But, but I think that people don't even realize that we're starting, we're starting to grasp, I think with all this, the degree to which we've been manipulated literally by foreign nations and active measure type things to try to get us 
antagonized with each other. Yeah. Right. Um, which has been happening. I mean, you read the Mueller report like this is this should be completely a bipartisan concern. Like we have active foreign measures by antagonistic foreign powers working concertedly to yeah. sow discord in our country. Right. But at the same time, the, a notch down from that, we've got like clickbait journalists who manufacture narratives of conflict because they want you to think like, you know, somehow that um, between Mark and me and Mark, that there's some sort of a like thing. It's like, it's like, okay, this is one of my oldest and most beloved friend colleagues in this trade. I was going to say, I would like, imagine you guys would have liked each other. But yeah. laugh about it. I love, he's one of the best actors of my generation. You know, the notion <laughs> that there's a shred of anything other than love and celebration and laughter about all this is so stupid. And even the idea that, you know, I make a joke at my own expense on like Comedy Central, yeah. right? In the Bro Bruce Willis rogues. And then, and it converts into like legit, like me, like, sh you know, throwing shade. It's like, no, I'm throwing shade on me, dickwads. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm, I'm making fun of like my own, you know, the joke that I like to rewrite everything. I'm making fun of myself. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, come on, grow up and recognize that like, there is no, there's no bad feeling. There's no discord. I think the guys who are making that stuff, uh, the you know, are great. I think they're doing a fuck. If I was a Disney stockholder, I'd be like, "You guys right. are doing it right. Well done. done a real well done." And um, the idea that there's like any actual conflict in any of this is so juvenile. I didn't even know about the fake conflict story. I just knew. I just knew it's that you gave up the Hulk, and yeah, yeah, yeah. your son's gonna be no, mad about it. At some always point. like saying like, "There's this like oh. stuff," and it's just like. Nobody should listen to any of that. It's they're just trying to get you to like everyone. Has they're that trying stuff. to click a thing that takes you to outbrain and gets them paid. You know what I mean? That was you mentioned it, but that's like one of your internet reputations. Like he tries to rewrite every movie. Yeah. It's like I doubt he tries yeah. to rewrite every movie. No, I'm, I'm, and I'm sometimes I not believe that one. And actually, in many cases, where you're talking about, I got paid to rewrite <laughs> right. that movie. Like it's actually a job I was hired to do. Right, you know right, what right. I mean? Um, and uh, and um, yeah. but, well, but, we, but 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 I my view of that is like it's like. Lots of people have played Hamlet, right? Yeah. Like, and nobody says like, oh, they gave up Hamlet. It's like, I don't, I, you don't, like Bill Bixby will always be the Hulk to me. Oh my God. And Eric, always, for that's life. it for me, for life. That's every it. time, every episode, it never worked out no for one, him. No one will His ever. His shirt was torn. He's I walking. I actually feel like in many ways, I think no one could be better than him as yeah. that. We character. have, we have to go down. Yeah, we have somebody peeking guys, in. Guys, I love being part of that group. This was really fun. Yes. Will you come back and do rewatchables? What's that? We do a podcast where we break down a movie. Oh, yeah, sure. You're here. You would like it. Sure. You'd be good at it. Sure. It'd There's be fun. so many good ones. We pick, I mean, we'll let you pick the movie and come in. All right. This yeah, is good, good luck with your movie. When's it premiere? Uh, it comes out November 1st. And um, and I can tell you, uh, this is not a line. There's like there's like very little else on that weekend that an adult human being will enjoy more than this movie. Great. I certify it. Good luck. Good luck.